Wow, thank you. Good evening. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you now. Thank you. All right. Look at this verse here. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That is a wonderful verse. And it's comforting to me to know that we are worshiping that God, a God of light that has no darkness, no darkness at all. Not only is that nice but and comforting as well, but it gives us hope. You know, we live in a pretty dark world sometimes, filled with flawed humans, corrupted with sin and then corrupted by Satan. And so to hear that there's this God that has no darkness at all, man, that's refreshing. All of us are trying to escape darkness to some degree or another. Maybe we choose the wrong avenue, though. Maybe we choose the avenue of pleasure and drugs and work or whatever that is. But we read this passage and we can step back and we can realize, okay, great. God is light. Now I know where I need to go. Now I know who I need to draw closer to. Now I know the goal. I know the target. Now God is light. That's the theme for this evening's lesson. Is that God is light. And we're diving into our new sermon series on light in the Bible. And Nate gave a great lesson this morning talking about, you know, God is the creator. To let there be light. And this entire year, we've talked about what it means to be salt and light. And so this evening, we're going to look at, you know, what does it mean when he says, when John says, God is light? That's the question that we want to try to understand. When we think of light today, especially in our American culture, when we, you know, read books or watch movies or listen to music as well, we can see that light often represents what is good. Light represents the righteous. Light is over here, and we want to be over here. We want to be with what is good. And yet over here, at the same time, we have evil, and, and that's represented by darkness, and that's, that's the dark side. We don't want to be over there at all. And so there's these two contrasting ideas. And when we read 1 John Chapter 1, verse 5, we get that underlying tone here. And it's not, it's not wrong at all. And I love what we learned last week when Luke Chandler was here and he was talking about archaeology. He was talking about how important it is to read the text in context from their perspective and how they would have read it. And how that just enlightens us and gives us a whole new, fresh understanding of that text. We want to do the same thing out of 1 John chapter 1. You know, John, we have good evidence that he wrote this. What was he thinking? What was his perspective? What was the perspective of the Christians at this time? What did he mean by God is light? Well, the first thing he meant is that, look, he put emphasis on God's holiness. When he says God is light, he's meaning, hey, God is holy. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to begin our study there in Exodus 3. Here in the context here. Moses is looking for this lamb, and he comes across this burning bush. He runs into, well, God. Exodus 3, look at verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning bright, yet it was not consumed. And that would probably give, that probably grab a lot of our attention. But what is this? I want to go and investigate this. Do you remember what happens if we continue reading? 
Look at verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God, your father, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So because of this light here, and God speaking out of this, this light in this instance, it creates this holy ground. And this is a perspective and an aspect of you know, God is light that we have to understand and we have to consider. When John says God is light, he's again putting emphasis on God's holiness. And we need to do the same thing in our lives. In our lives, we need to put emphasis on God's holiness as an aspect of who he is. And when we think of holiness, maybe we're thinking just set apart, different, distinct. And that's true. That's an aspect of his holiness. But his holiness as well, another aspect as well, is it's a standard. He has a standard that's higher than my own. And we can easily, of course, as Christians, be insulted for that. You've heard insults, I'm sure. Oh, holier than thou. Oh, you think you're a you're better, more righteous person. You're better than I am. When that's not what we mean at all. But I'm sure you've heard these comments. But you look at Exodus 3 here and this light and this holy ground. What happens to Moses? Right? It catches his attention. He's interested in it. Because it's a light that's, that's burning. Yes, it's burning, but it's not really consuming. It's not destroying as one would expect. And this is the emphasis that we want to put on holiness. Because when the world thinks of holiness and the holiness of God, it thinks of it as a consuming fire that's going to destroy everything that they know about themselves and their identity and who they are. It's going to suck the fun out of life and get rid of all the pleasure and everything else. And that's not what God's holiness does at all. That's not it. Like Moses, it's meant to grab our attention. It's meant to burn within us a change and a desire to do things we otherwise wouldn't do for God. It's meant for us to throw away our sins just as Moses threw away his sandals and then to pull us in. But us as Christians, when it comes to God's holiness, even our lives, it's kind of like that, that bush in a sense as well. It's on fire. It's all about God. It's consumed by God, but it's not being destroyed. It's not being burned. In fact, it's being enlightened and enriched. It's being cleansed. And I know it's just a bush, but this is an aspect of God's presence. For Moses, though, this is a moment where now he gets to know God. But God is introducing himself to him. Look, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know, God's holiness is an opportunity for us to get to know him. If we can be cleansed of our sins so as to be in his presence God's holiness is, is that, that opportunity. And 1 Peter, Nate talked about this this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. It says, For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So at one point in our life, God grabbed our attention with his holiness, 
bringing us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What is that light here? And that brings us to our second point. When it talks about God is light, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is our example. I want to stay within Exodus here for a second. Turn over to Exodus 13. Stay within the Old Testament before we look at Jesus. But the Old Testament has several examples of God being this light. And the Israelites here are headed toward the promised land. They're headed into the wilderness, into this unknown territory, and they need a guide. And God goes before them as a light, as a guiding light in Exodus 13. Look at verses 21 and 22. It tells us, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to guide them, to guide them, uh, to give them light, that they, might, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. I don't know if you've ever gone outside in the dark. Of course you have course you have, (laughs) but outside of the dark, in nature, where there's no light, the the moon is barely bright, that could be scary. I mean, it's pitch dark, and and you can't see, and that's why people this time would not travel. They wouldn't travel at night. That wouldn't be a, a normal thing for them to do, but God is providing a light so that they can. That's an amazing thing. By night, in the darkness, there's this pillar of fire that gives them this light. A pillar of fire that's guiding them so they can do something that they normally wouldn't do. And that's what God's light does for us, is it helps us achieve what we wouldn't normally do. What we wouldn't normally think of doing or take us places we wouldn't expect to go. That's the power of God's light. That's the influence that it has on us. Us today, we may not have a little, a literal, you know, pillar of fire, but we have a guiding light in Jesus. Jesus, like that pillar of fire, guides us. It guides us out of darkness, and he guides us into the morning. And we're reminded of this when we read Matthew 17. Turn over to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, this is the Mount of Transfiguration here. And God is, is, reveals his glory through Jesus here in an even deeper sense of his divine nature. Look at verses 1 through 9. Matthew 17, 1 through 9, it begins by saying, After six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up a, a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them in a voice. For the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one of this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Of course, there's a lot of similarities here between what we read in Exodus 3 and Exodus 13. And there's still this idea of God's holiness. I mean, they're on the mountain with Jesus. And in fact, there's this cloud. Look at verse 5. There's this bright cloud. Excuse me. I love that his clothes are so bright that they're like light. His face is shining like the sun. And out of this cloud, what does the voice say? Out of this cloud, he says, look, this is my son. He gives a statement, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He gives a truth. This is what you need to believe. This is God. And then he follows that up with what? He follows that up with application, something for us to do. He says, listen to him. Listen to him. One of the ways that God guides us is when we pay attention to him, when we listen to him. If you're wondering, how do I enter into God's presence? One of the ways of of doing that is striving towards obedience and trying to follow the righteousness of God. That's how we enter into his presence. Otherwise, we're just living in our sin and we're never following his guiding light. We need to follow his guiding light and to listen to Jesus. I love Psalm 43 that gives this idea. I can even picture this pillar of fire, this light that's leading us in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Following God's truth and his son, it leads us into his holy dwelling, into God's dwelling. This is our pillar, if you will. This is our pillar to follow. This is our pillar that is, that is light to us out of the darkness. This is the Father's Son. This is God. This, this is God. God that is light. And that's comforting to us. Because no longer do we have to somehow come up with our own laws, our own righteousness, and rely on ourselves to be holy and to be perfect. We don't have to try to make up our own rules and to make ourselves light. Because God is light. And when we are in his presence, we reflect that light. And that leads us to the third point of what it means when it says God is light, is that we are to become as light. We are to walk in light. Putting ourselves back into the mind of John, we read Matthew 17, let's turn on to Exodus 34, where Moses is in a similar situation that we saw from the disciples and Jesus. He goes up onto this mountain, God commands him to go onto this mountain, to rebuild the tablets he broke, to renew the covenant because Israel has sinned. And he's going to connect with God here. I want you to notice how God descends on this mountain, how glorious it is. In Exodus 34, verse 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. It's very similar to what we read in Matthew 17. You have, I mean, again, he's bowing, he's worshiping. The disciples were fearful, and they worshiped, and they bowed. 
Again, they had this idea of this cloud, and out of this cloud, this cloud is voice declaring God's glory, proclaiming who he is, and, and it's just honestly, he's describing how God is light. And notice what happens when after Moses is done connecting with God, and he's talking with him, and he comes down off this mountain. Notice, we jump down the text in verse 29, what it tells us. What happens to Moses? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that his skin on his face shone because he had been talking with God. A little detail that we don't want to miss. What does it say there at the end of that verse? That he was talking with God. He was connecting with him. He was having a conversation with him. And that's something for us to consider today. What is our relationship with God like? Are we talking with him? Are we praying? Are we connecting with him? Are we diving into his word? What are we doing to connect with God? We today have an opportunity with a relationship with God to shine his light forth, just like Moses here in a spiritual sense. And this is where we get our application. This is where we have to ask, what do I do with this God that is light? And that's where we go back to our passage we started with. And 1 John chapter 1. Look at 1 John chapter 1 again. Look at verse 5. We'll read verses 5 through 10. And it says this. This is the message. This is the gospel message that we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the word is not in us. We want the word to be in us. And you might be thinking this is a very strange passage when you, when you read it that way because no one, if they understand what sin is, will say that they have never sinned. Even if they have a basic understanding of sin, that well, I've made a mistake, the average person usually will admit that, yes, I've lived my life and I've made some mistakes. Unless they are so egotistical to think that they are perfect in every single way. I'm sure this passage speaks to them, but that's even a small minority. How does this passage speak to most of us who are willing to admit that we have messed up and we have sinned and we're not perfect? The difference is in the truth that this passage speaks to. That, yes, we are not perfect. We are flawed. The question is, are we willing to admit that there is someone who is perfect? Because when you get to that point, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, whether you're egotistical and you think you're perfect, or you know that you've made every mistake in the book. doesn't matter. We can still fail to admit that there is a perfect being, God, willing to forgive us. And if we fail to recognize that, we make God out to be a liar. When we fail to look past our own imperfections and toward God's perfections, we make God a liar. We make him a liar when we fail to confess our sins, the sins that we know are holding us back from walking in the light as God is walking in the light, verse 7. We know 
that God is there to cleanse us from our sins. He sent Jesus to cleanse us from our sins, we read in this passage. The opposite of a lie is truth. And God is light. And he is a light to only those who choose to practice the truth. To practice the truth that we read in verse 6. And to choose every day to then rely on that truth. To rely on God's light. So that through Jesus we can be made perfect. And then John goes on in the next chapter to say, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For those who may not be in the light, and for those that are searching Tired of living a lie. Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your savior. He's your light. He's your guide. He's the righteous as we read there. He's your truth. And God placed these things here in the Bible in his word so that we won't sin. He doesn't want us to sin anymore. Listening and following God, going into his presence, is placed here so that we can stay away from sin. But first, you need to know that you have to rely on Jesus' sacrifice and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, putting to death your old self, your sinful self, and walking into God's holy presence, a new man. If that's what you want this, this evening, now's the time to come forward and be baptized while we stand and we sing.